here with Amber Knowles, the executive director and founder of Fostering Family, which is an organization that works with a similar mission to Houston Angels to strengthen fostering kinship families and the general community through training and collaboration. One of the big things that you guys offer is trainings for people to become babysit and respite certified. And you make this happen through working with agencies all across the city in this big babysitting collaborative, which is awesome. So I'd love to get into more details about all of that and why you launched the organization itself. But first, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what part of Houston you live in? Sure. So I'm actually a native Houstonian. Um, I grew up in kind of the northwest part of Houston in Jersey Village. And now we live in the Heights area, um, okay. kind of just central Houston. So you are a foster parent. Can you expand on your personal foster care journey and what made you feel called to foster? And what was this process like as you got started? So my husband and I, we started the foster care process just with a licensing process back in 2014. I think when we started the process, our daughter was six months old, but by the time we finished it, she was just over a year. So we went through the process kind of slowly, a little trekking along a little bit here and there. Right, let's see, early May of 2015, we welcomed our uh, now son. Um, we didn't know it at the time, but um, our first placement, who actually became our, our son, who's now five. Um, and he came into our home. So we had a, a 14 month old and a five week old at the time. Wow. <laughs> so it was all hands on deck and pretty chaotic. But we kind of went through that process and um, ended up being able to have the privilege of adopting him uh, in 2016, I believe. Uh, then we had another biological son. And um, I think, when was it? He was about eight months old when the biological half-brother of our adopted son went into foster care. Um, so that was a bit of a surprise. We weren't open as a foster home at that point. And um, we, it was a difficult decision. And yet at the same time, it was um, an opportunity to really bless him, that, that child, but also um, our, our adopted son by bringing his, his um, brother into our home. And so we actually adopted him in October of this past year. Oh, congratulations. So, Thank you. It's certainly been a journey. We kind of started the process just knowing that we wanted to serve our neighbors and our community. And it, it, it's our perspective, of course, has changed over time. I think we, we jumped into it thinking, you know, we'd love to adopt, but we want to serve the needs of our community and then you get in it. And a lot of your perspective changes over time. And we really grew to, um, the Lord really gave us a heart for um, biological families and the restoration of the family. Mm things that we just really hadn't even thought through um, that were happening in our city. And it, it gave us a, a really deep desire to see vulnerable families thrive. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, it, it definitely rocks your world a bit and your eyes are open to the brokenness um, in the world and the cycle that is foster care. And so a lot of that is what kind of drew us into creating Fostering Family um, a big part of that was recognizing, of course, the gaps in the system as you walk through all of that process and you hear all the stories about the child welfare system and how scary it is and how it's broken. But then it just became an issue of, well, yes, it is broken, but we're part of the problem because we're part, this is our city. And so how can we actually step in and uh, make a difference in this and facilitate collaboration and serve these organizations that we say are so broken. So that's kind of where Fostering Family was born. So what were some of those gaps that you were experiencing? Can you go into a little more detail about just what you wish that you had had more support with, maybe more resources? 
where were all those issues arising? Well, the biggest one that was highlighted for us just as we were becoming licensed was the fact that foster families weren't getting support really from the community around them, mostly because the nature of the system doesn't really allow for that. Uh, mm -hmm. For good reason, you have to protect the children that are in the care of the state. And um, these kids are vulnerable and you want to make sure they're protected. And so for good reason, there are restrictions on that. But at the same time, we figured there has to be a way uh, to make that possible. And so um, what we realized going through our licensing process was that our agency would tell us to get to know the foster families that were around us because they would be babysitting for us. And we kept thinking, one, they don't live near us, but also that's the tired trying to care for the tired. Um, <laughs> yes. I would then step in and take a night away where they could be getting rest um, yes. in a and chaotic season um, to just come over to my house and care for my kids. So um, we just knew that that wasn't going to be sustainable for us and it really isn't sustainable for anyone. And so that's really where the babysitting collaborative kind of came out of. We started thinking through how can we get our own community involved. Um, there are restrictions to it. You have to be background checked and fingerprinted and have CPR training and things like that. But we knew that our, our community wanted to step in. And so we just made it as easy as possible for them to access those things. And we brought them into our home and it was, it just made it easier for them to, to care for our family. And out of that, it grew to thinking through what could this look like to do this on a greater scale for the city of Houston across different agencies. Um, so that was really the, the biggest problem that we noticed. Of course, you know, I, I talk about someone as I'm a nurse practitioner by background. And so um, when you start looking at something as big as the child welfare system and you see um, it's kind of a pet peeve when I see, you know, band-aids being put on things that really require mm. surgical intervention and vice versa. Um, you start doing yeah. surgery on things that could be um, fixed with a simple solution. And so some of those things became uncovered and I just really wanted to kind of think through what, what could be done uh, in those kind of, of things. So um, a lot of that has to do with caring for biological families, caring for kids, foster youth who are Kind of on a track to age out of the system. Um, how can we actually, there's a lot of resources in Houston. There's so many things that can be done in Houston um, to care for these kids, but a lot of those things are really uh, discoordinated. Yeah. They're not accessing those things. And so how do we actually find ways and even using like technology and using different assets that we have as a city to make sure that the kids who need it and the families that need it are actually accessing those, uh, those resources. Yeah. Definitely. So are your kids still in contact with their biological families? Unfortunately not. Um, that's something that um, we have I've done kind of what we could. The circumstances didn't really allow for that early on. With our first son, um, biological family wasn't really involved really at all through the whole process. Um, and so it, it also made it difficult the second time around to introduce those things um, when our son was older, but it's something we have like written letters and things like that. But unfortunately there just hasn't been um, any relationship. We, we of course do hope that over time when our sons are old enough and on their own, that they would be able to have some sort of an understanding. We of course believe that it's really important for them to know where they came from. Um, not just where they find themselves now, but where, what their heritage is. And even when it's messy and broken and mm -hmm. um, it's still their lineage and it's still part of who they are. And how did your perspective exactly change about biological families when you first came into this? Because I think a lot of people, when they think of 
the foster care system, they see biological families as, um, like you said, this brokenness, people doing something wrong. Um, I mean, we all know that there's a reason for the children to be removed from their homes, but it's also um, the idea that we need to come around these families and still care for them as well and encourage reunification whenever we can. So how did your perspective change about all that when you first started? There's a couple of things. I think one, also coming to grips with the fact that we're also broken. And so we're not all that removed from biological families. Um, We have struggles and um, there are certain things that have happened in my own life that have allowed me to be protected from some of the things that some of the biological families in our city who have kids um, that enter the foster care system just did not have access to. Um, They, if you look at the trajectory and kind of the river, if you will, of foster care, there's, there are things that put kids in, into kind of the river that is foster care and they kind of go downstream. But some of these kids, some of these parents were born in the river that is foster yeah, care. Yeah, exactly. Generational. Right. Um, so there's just a, a compassion that grows when you start to see your kids as, yes, in some ways they are your own, but they also came from, um, parents who really had a hard time in life. And once I, I think a big part of it that turned it, turned it for us was reading redacted files for our children uh, when we saw um, the backgrounds and the circumstances a little bit more in detail of their parents, you know, both of their parents, um, you start to see that they never really had a chance because um, yeah. they started off in the same situation. Uh, and so there's just a lot of building of compassion there. I think that Um, grew our heart for that. Okay. So how did you get started with fostering family? What were kind of the first steps that you took and how did you get it off the ground? So we took a few years actually of planning, um, building connections within the the community and really learning from the community. Um, We really took a deep dive into the foster care system and who are the players, who who are the people who are serving these kids Um, Where are the gaps really and what's underneath those? And so we did a lot of just investigating and building relationships for a good probably two years. Mm. Um, And then we started actually at the beginning was not anticipating creating a nonprofit. My hope is to (laughs) find an organization that was doing this work and say, hey, I would love to help you. Mm. Um, But I went to a conference in Austin that was put on by an organization called Fostering Hope Austin. Um, that was a very like, collaborative organization. They were actually doing this babysitting collaborative. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is something we've done just in our own home. This is really great. And I, I met the director of that organization and really asked her, do you know of anything that exists like this somewhere in Houston? Because we don't live in Austin, but this, this needs to happen in Houston, hoping that she would say, of course, yes, there's this organization that you could just support and help with. Um, and she said, no, it, it actually doesn't really exist. There's, there are organizations that are doing great work, um, but there's not really a collaborative, neutral kind of organization that's able to connect the dots. Mm. And so I said, okay. I went home and talked to my husband and said, I have this big dream now. And <laughs> no idea what happened when I went to that conference and didn't <laughs> expect that I would come home thinking we need to start something like this. And really it was just a dream for a long time. Um, and then we really started moving forward. We, um, we worked alongside that organization in Austin for a while to learn from them. And um, because we had already started doing a small version of babysitting certification just in our own living room for our own family, 
it seemed like the, the smartest way to start the organization. So we launched actually um, doing the babysitting certification process and building relationships with agencies um, that would kind of sign on. And I think we started with about three or four agencies that signed on to the collaboratives to build support and train babysitters for their families. And then it just started growing. We have about 17 agencies right now in the collaborative and it's expanding and growing as it's continued to move forward. That's awesome. So can you just briefly go through what a babysitting certification looks like for people that don't know? Sure. So as I mentioned earlier, to be a babysitter, provide um, care and child care for um, a child that's in the foster care system, you have to be background checked, fingerprinted, um, be CPR certified, depending on the agency, go through a couple of different trainings. Um, And so when somebody wants to go through the process and be a babysitter for um, one of their friends or a family member, they can sign up um, and register. And then we provide some of the documentation. So we can facilitate that documentation process and get get it all over to the right place. Um, and then they attend just a one-day training um, that incorporates all of the training necessary <coughs> to become a certified babysitter. So previously, most people who wanted to babysit, they just kind of do a class here and do a CPR certification there and do Mm. some documentation here. And it was just all very discoordinated. Um, Whereas now we have a very streamlined process. So we, you get the application, you turn it in, um, you go to the class, you get all of your trainings. It costs $10 and it includes your CPR certification. So we try to make it as inexpensive and easily accessible as possible. And um, you'll get fingerprinted outside of that. That's the one thing that we can't really do specifically in-house um, but once you get your fingerprints, you're kind of ready to go. Um, so it just, it becomes much easier to get it done. Hmm. So how are you guys holding up in the midst of this crisis? Because I know that's affected these types of certifications that you guys offer. Um, and also what kinds of needs are you seeing in general for the community that you work with and the people you work with? So we've, we've pivoted to a, a certain degree. Um, some of the things that we're moving forward with, um, we're launching a new program in August called the Riverside Project, which will engage and mobilize the church um, to step into and strategically engage the foster care crisis. So we're really excited about that. We didn't really expect um, to, we haven't officially launched it, but we've we've kind of prematurely started working on it just because of the need that's um, come up. So one of our goals with, with the Riverside Project is actually to make sure that all residential treatment centers and group homes where foster youth are living um, are supported by local churches in their area. And so that was that's one of our goals with the project, and we didn't anticipate we're really pushing forward with it until at least the fall. But in light of COVID-19, we know that these are these are kids who are living in group homes who are especially vulnerable and being cared for 24-7 by staff members who are now um, tasked with making sure that their educational needs are met, and that they're trying to keep them occupied, yeah. keep them fed. And so we've actually, in the last two weeks, just really started focusing on making sure that they're cared for well. And so we've, um, we've been, well, a lot of our, our main staff, um, our very small staff, uh, has been working pretty tirelessly making sure that um, churches who step up are able to connect with those homes and make sure that the kids and the staff are getting well cared for and getting the things that they need to make sure that they can care for their kids well. Um, so that's a big, that's been a big shift for us and something that we didn't necessarily anticipate. Um, with the babysitting collaborative, we uh, we have our summer training planned for June 6th, 
of course, we don't know at this point because everything is on hold whether or not we'll be able to actually do that in person. So we are working on making those trainings virtual. Um, so we have, we're in the process of that right now. Um, we know that we've been told by lots of agencies and lots of families that parenting kids with, that have gone through trauma um, on any day is really hard. But when you add in all of the restrictions and the difficulties um, that our current circumstances are bringing, it makes for crisis happening mm -hmm. on the day, day to day. So um, it's been somewhat devastating for many families who are already struggling with crisis and with trauma. And of course, adding in that childcare is just not really possible at all right now. Um, mm -hmm. Families are just really, really struggling. So we're doing what we can to make sure that we can do as much of the trainings for babysitter certification online. Um, we're hoping to get it out in the next couple of weeks. And the, the hard part with that is CPR and first aid. Um, the yeah. minimum standards for Texas still require that CPR and first aid be done in person and not online. So we're waiting on the state to make some changes with that so that we can offer that online as well. So that's been a big pivot. And of course, you know, I'm sure as you've heard some of the news reports, the current circumstances are making a um, just a, a big, there's been a big um, push and a big struggle right now that we see with isolation and lack of resources and potentially domestic violence and kids not going to the pediatrician and kids not going to school. Uh, there's less eyes on kids who could potentially be um, abused. And so we've seen news reports of increases in child abuse and things like that. So we're also thinking through those types of things and what the aftermath of all of this is going to be in the child welfare system across the city and really across the state. Um, mm -hmm. And so how do we as an organization prepare for that, knowing that there's a good chance that vulnerable families and vulnerable children are really in crisis right now, but just not being seen? Yeah, absolutely. Those are all things that we're thinking about too. And I know I can say on behalf of the whole Houston Angels team, we all look forward to working with you guys more in the future. I know a lot of our team members want to get babysit certified and I had reached out to you the other day about that. Um, I myself am a mentor and it's just one of the big things that has come up. Um, and I know a lot of my other team members feel the same. So I appreciate you being here. Thank you for chatting with me. If everyone wants to follow you and stay updated about all of your trainings and everything you guys have going on, where can they find you? So definitely our website, it's www.fostering-family.org. Um, then also on Facebook and Instagram, you can find us there too. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Amber. Thank you.